This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. And welcome everybody to another special episode of the Animaniacast. And welcome once again to the Animaniacast. We are the only podcast out there that's dedicated to the animated series, Animaniacs. And today we have a very special episode. This is our fourth interview installment with our friend and senior producer of Animaniacs, Mr. Tom Ruger. I am Joey, and joining me are my co-hosts, Nathan. Call me Dottie and you die. <laughs> and Kelly. Hi there. And, of course, Mr. Tom Ruger. I want to say something funny and I have nothing. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, Tom, thank you again for being on the show once again. Uh, we're looking forward to, to taking a glimpse once again behind the curtain of Animaniacs. And, uh, Tom, thank you again for last, last episode uh, we had, among other things, we had uh, some of the original lyrics to the show Animaniacs. We had... We had some of the original Wacko uh, Warner auditions as well. And I think today we're going to be having some uh, some more audio clips and some stuff from some letters from Steven Spielberg as well. So uh, should be well, we have uh, today we have uh, some other auditions. Uh, Minerva Mink oh. and uh, Newt, the sidekick. And we have some alternate Pinky and the Brains. So uh, I think it'd be fun to dig into those. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, before we get into some of the uh, the audio and all that, um, I think, first of all, it would be kind of cool if you could share this a quick letter. And you read it to us you know, right before we started recording, but it was such a cool letter. I think we should share it once again. This is a letter, actually two letters, I suppose. Uh, from Steven Spielberg uh, that were written to you right when the show began. Well, yeah. Uh, you know, Steven uh, was busy with various uh, projects while uh, we were working on uh, Animaniacs. Um, in June of 92, where we had already uh, cast and were making uh, Animaniacs, he sent a letter and said, congratulations on the deserved Emmy for writing, which we won the Emmy that year for Tiny Toon. I'm going to have to start calling you folks the uh, almost ready for primetime players. <laughs> and then he, then he added, a, nothing on kids TV matches uh, what you've been doing on Tiny Toons and Animaniacs. Thanks again. And uh, this is before Animaniacs had, this is uh, over a year before it even goes on the air. Mm. And then uh, a year later, uh, literally a year later, June 93, he wrote, Dear Tom, having seen a representative sampling of Animaniacs, I want to take this moment to personally express to you my uh, deepest gratitude for your devoted and creative and highly personal contributions to the genesis of Animaniacs and the development of the entire series. It's a real hoot to watch these Latter-day March brothers running amok with sonic booms of laughter trailing close behind. My kids love everything they've seen so far, especially the Warners, Pinky and the Brain, and Mindy and Buttons. Here's wishing all of us a great success in September. All my, all my love, Stephen. Like, <laughs> that's so sweet. And that, that's June of '93. <laughs> and then in November '93, this is so we've been on the air now two months. Uh -huh. and, he wrote, and he wrote, "I've seen every episode you've sent me, and I am so proud of all the work you are doing on Animaniacs." This amazing show is beyond anything I could have imagined. Go celebrate. All my best, Stephen. You it didn't send love that time? Huh? All my best. Oh, okay. All my best. I think, I think the bromance ended. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he clearly was uh, thrilled with uh, what was going on there with Animaniacs in uh, 93. And so... Uh, Today, I thought it'd be fun to go back uh, the year before, 92, and hear some of the uh, first 
voice attempts at some of the roles uh, on Animaniacs. Absolutely. Um, boy, that's got to be... that. How, how about those letters there, Kelly? <laughs> I... So I keep meaning to write him someday. Maybe he could write back. I don't know. Care of Amblin Entertainment, but I, you know, I get so nervous. I don't know what I would say. Just send him all your love exactly. and all your best. I don't want to be creepy. I would say uh, tell him that you're uh, one of the hosts of Animani Cast, and uh, we'd love to have you on sometime, Stephen. So, uh, oh my god, try that. It's true. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just yeah. run this. It's sort of self-explanatory. There are gaps in it, and you'll uh, it's not always queued up perfectly. But this is uh, the first thing you're going to hear, I believe, is Tress McNeil uh, auditioning for Minerva Mink. Cool. Okay. And I think uh, Newt, the role of Newt, I think is being auditioned by Rob Paulson. So let's see. Hey, big fella. Why don't you come over sometime and look at my SATs? What? Oh, Rhodes Scholar, huh? Listen, Einstein, you're barking up the wrong tree. Why do you want to hunt me? It's good because you're a mink, all right? And rich ladies, you know, want to wrap you around sort of like their bodies. Oh, I think that's illegal in most states. What kind of girl do you think I am? Wait, don't answer that. The thing is, only mink should wear mink coats. This is uh, Tress McNeil as Marilyn, Newt, Rob Paulson, Kate. So this is uh, an alternate voice. Uh, this is an alternate voice by Tress uh, for Minerva. 72. Hey, big fella. Why don't you come over sometime and look at my SATs? What? Oh, Rhodes Scholar, huh? Listen, Einstein, you're barking up the wrong tree. Why do you want to hunt me? It's good because you're a mink, all right? And rich ladies, you know, want to wrap you around sort of like their bodies. Well, I think that's illegal in most states. What kind of girl do you think I am? Wait, don't answer that. The thing is, only minks should wear mink coats. So the first voice, that was Tress doing her share. Okay. Okay. Uh, from Moonstruck. And the second voice is Tress doing her Kathleen Turner from Body Heat. And was Rob doing Woody Allen? And Rob, in both cases. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that sounded almost like Jessica Rabbit in the yeah. second one. Well, that's right. Did, did, didn't she do Jessica Rabbit? She did. Uh, Kathleen Turner. There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That must be it then. Yeah. I actually <laughs> thought it was almost elements of almost Mae West as well or something, like a little bit of uh, all that I kind agree. of mixed in. I agree. There was Mae West in there. So let's see what happens next here. This is Maurice LaMarche as Frankie. Maurice LaMarche as Joey, line 41, take. All right, now here we have uh, the Good Feathers with uh, their names are different before before they became uh, Squid and Bobby and uh, Pesto. More recent? Pesto. Pesto. Yeah, Squid, Bobby, Pesto. They were like Frankie and Gary, just gener pretty generic names. So this is uh, what we get here. Uh, let's see. Grace LaMarche as Joey, line 41, take. <laughs> hey, Joey, the way you dove in for that crust of bread and, and get squished by that Chevy Nova. <laughs> oh, me, man, you sure are funny. funny. Oh, am I funny to you? What am I, some sort of clown to you? Oh, Joey, it's just, well, you think I'm here for your amusement? Like I'm some kind of a comedian or something like that? Oh, no. Hey, Frankie, help me out here. What? Talking to me, Gary? Huh? You're talking to me? There's no one else here. You must be talking to me. Well, sorry I brought it up. What's, What's that, that supposed to mean? So that was both Rob and Maurice, and Maurice playing two roles. I see. And yeah, and, uh, and Joey uh, must have been turned into Pesto, but obviously Joe Pesci... Joe Pesci is the, uh, you know, initial inspiration for that character. It makes sense to call him Joey. It's, it's funny that, what was it, Frankie turned into Bobby, but then Bobby right. was Bobby De Niro. So it's like, <laughs> he's just kind of like flipped the celebrity <laughs> name yeah. of the thing. <laughs> then Gary was, 
don't know. I forget. Squit, I guess. Say it again. It must have been squit, I guess, right? I don't know. Yes. It's all it's all all mixed up. And uh, this is so. This is Frank Welker coming up here. Let's see. Those uh, right out of the gate, uh, they hit the hip hippos right out, out of the gate. So, Absolutely. Uh, there wasn't much searching around after those two read them. Uh, let's see what happens next here. Rita, Peter Hastings as one, line 62. Oh, this is funny. This is, this is uh, Tress as Rita and uh, our, our story editor, or our one of our writers at that point, he became a story editor and a producer, Peter Hastings, doing uh, runs. Peter Hastings does run. Line 60, take four. Gee, Rita, you're smarter every day. Then why am I hanging out with you? Because you're my very bestest friend in the whole wide world. Oh, brother. You liar. Justin Jetson. You're a good dog, Rita. A real good dog. I am not a dog, Ding Dong. I'm a cat. Cat? What? Where's the cat? Get out of here with this bitch. Dog. Frank Walker has lunch to take. 89. You're as smart as every day. Then why am I hanging out with you? Quick. Because you're my very bestest friend in the whole wide world. You're loyal, trusting, gentle. You're a real good dog, Rita. A real, real good dog. I am not a dog, Ding Dong. I'm a cat. Cat? <laughs> where, where? Ah, come apart. Where's the cat? That's interesting because it it's very close to Runt's voice, but it's got a little bit of the bubble voice, like the bubble that you'd find in like Go Go Dodo. So yeah, mixed a bubble in with his Dustin Hoffman from Rain Man, uh, and subsequent, I think he does an, another uh, attempt at this completely different voice. Um, okay. The Frank Walker as Runt takes ninety three. <laughs> You're, you're smart every day. You're, you're, you're smart. Then why am I hanging out with you? Because you're my very best friend in the whole wide world. Oh, brother. You're loyal, trusting, gentle. <laughs> you're such a good dog, Rita. You're really a, a real good dog. I am not a dog, Ding Dong. I'm a cat. Cat? <laughs> Sort of uh, um, cowardly lion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm finding this really interesting because when we listened to the interviews last time, I was under the impression that their voice that, that they chose to do got them the part, and that would sort of be the voice that they used in the episodes. But it sounds like, if, if I'm understanding correctly, the, the process they they get chosen, and then they still kind of. Um, fine-tune what actually the character's voice is going to be. Correct? Well, no one that you've just heard was chosen on the strength of those voices you've just heard. Okay. These are these are select moments of, of the auditions, and I think we brought them in a couple times. We mm-hmm. said, you know what? We, we kind of like what you're driving at there, but we'd like you to go more in this direction, that direction. Okay. 
so that the final auditions that I, I have in another tape, those all sound almost precisely like what you expect. In other words, Rob's Yakko, Jess's Wacko, Tress's Dot, uh, Frank's, you know, Runt. In other words, before we proceeded with the series, they all had nailed their voices. Okay. And really, the only thing they had ever read, by the time they got the roles, the only thing they had ever read was the audition copy. Hmm. Some of the audition copy is pretty funny. Uh, in other words, it was never used in the series. And we'll, we'll get to that stuff, uh, you know, on a future episode. <laughs> now, I was but, I was wondering for Peter Hastings, uh, uh, right there, uh, when he was doing Runt's voice, was he actually in? Was he actually trying out for the part, or was he just kind of like there to fill in for the role? I, uh, I. Uh, I believe uh, Peter, you know, Peterson uh, was a, an actor. Uh, I mean, he is a musician. He, he was acting at that point. He had been with the Groundlings. And uh, so uh, he would gladly have uh, accepted a role, I, I suspect. But we had him very busy writing uh, on all of this. So, mm-hmm. uh, we were just as soon having him uh, focus on that. And, uh, you know, of course, Frank really uh, did nail the part. Let's see what else is next. Here. Okay. This is Rob Paulson. This is Pinky Jolowski. As the brain taste was. This is fascinating. So this is Rob Paulson as Pinky. I believe it's his Pinky. And then here's Joe Alaski, the voice of Plucky Duck, uh, oh, taking yeah. a shot at the brain. Oh, gee, brain, laugh! What do you want to do tonight, then? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Hey, God, Rain! Your genius astounds me! Spartan logic, Pinky. Follow me. <laughs> so, uh, that to me sounded a little bit like uh, uh, the actor George Sanders from the 40s. Uh, very dry, very sophisticated. Um, so here now is... Is Joe Alasky taking a shot at Pinky and Maurice LaMarche doing the brain? Maurice LaMarche as brain? Pick 112. Gee, brain? What do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. (gasps) Yeah, brain. Your genius astounds me. Sparking logic, Pinky. Follow me. (laughs) <laughs> right from the get-go, that was definitely the brain, Walker wasn't it? As, Walker as Pinky, Maurice LaMarche as the brain. Frank Welker as, Walker Frank as Welker, Welker, excuse me, Frank Welker as Pinky, Maurice LaMarche doing an alternate voice for the brain. Maurice LaMarche as the brain, take 102. Gee, brain, nice. Uh, what do you want to do Same thing we do every night, Pinky, try to take over the world. <sighs> He's death brain. The genius astounds me. Spartan logic, Pinky. Follow me. So that uh, sounds a little bit like Homer Simpson. And it's uh, his Walter Matthau impression. Okay. Yeah, I was I was, I was, was thinking W.C. Fields for some reason. But yeah, Walter Matthau, I could see that too. Definitely. And no, it's garbage. To W.C. Fields. All right, let's see uh, what we got next. Frank Walker has a brain line, 72. Oh, gee, brain. Mark, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. <laughs> gee, God, brain. Your genius found me. Spartan logic, Pinky. That's a very funny brain. He's good. That's Both those voices were by Frank Welker, and... Uh, that's a funny brain. Uh, sort of his Peter Lorre, very yes. weird Peter Lorre. <laughs> Get away from me. Gee, Doctor, that's an awesome. So I believe this is, I don't know who's doing uh, Scratch and Snip, but I believe this is Rob doing uh, yeah, in, a, in an early incarnation. Of okay. Get away from me. Gee, Doctor, that's an awfully big nose for you. Ah! 
Yes, man. I love. How do you make your veins pop out like that? You look like a road map. Listen. Aw, don't go away insulted. Just go away. You're driving me crazy. I wish we were driving you to the airport. <laughs> well, it kind of sounded like Rob's Yakko, didn't it? But very Groucho Marxish. I mean, that was incredibly yeah, Groucho. I could almost see him with the cigar at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah he definitely had not uh, calmed it down. Here's Rob as Scratch and Sniff. Paulson as Dr. Scratch and Sniff. Maurice LaMarche as Yakko, pick 139. Get away from me. Gee, Doctor, that's an awfully big nose for you. Ha <laughs> ha! Leave me alone. How do you make your veins pop out like that? You look like a roadmap. I am leaving. Aw, don't go away, insulted. Just go away. You're driving me crazy. I wish we were driving you to the airport. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> Pinky and the Brains. The voices of Pinky and the Brain doing the voices of Scratch and Sniff and Yakko, but not the way you'd think. It's bizarre. That's bizarre. Yes. <laughs> Some reverse alternate dimension we've gone into in this That's in these states. Alternate dimension. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what's next. Rob Paulson as Dr. Scratch and Sniff. Maurice Lamarche as Yakko, pick one thirty nine. Get away from me. Gee, Doctor, that's an awfully big nose for you. Ha <laughs> ha Leave me alone. How do you make your veins pop out like that? You look like a roadmap. I am leaving. Aw, don't go away, insulted. Just go away. You're driving me crazy. I wish we were driving you to the airport. You know what? I think that one, you know, I don't want to bore you guys to death, but I think that one is the same exact audition sped up a tiny bit so that uh, Maurice's voice gets a little bit brighter. You know, did that happen regularly on the on the show? It seems like every now and then we'd, we'd listen to some of the episodes and Pinky's voice or sometimes Dot's voice or just, you know, random characters would sometimes feel like when I'd be listening to the audio very closely, pitched up a little bit. But did that happen regularly? Yeah. Dot's voice initially, and I, I, I have the, uh, the auditions, the final auditions, and there's, there's two different tapes. One's like untreated, and then there's the treated one. And the treated one, you'll find that in the... Uh, First, like maybe five to ten episodes, all the Warners are treated a little bit. They're all pitched a little bit. But what happened was the actors started getting more comfortable with the role, and Dot uh, Tress started pitching herself. Hmm. She, she just started adjusting the voice upwards. So then, when we kept pitching it, it started to get really high. So we had to stop stop pitching it. Okay. And you'll you'll notice uh, when we do the the, the final auditions, uh, even uh, initially, Rob was pitched a little, uh, uh, Jess uh, a bit, and uh, Pinky would fluctuate between low and high. So I, I don't I don't recall exactly how we dealt with him, but ultimately we didn't need to pitch anybody because all the actors sort of did it themselves. Is pitching still done to this day, like uh, in in recordings, or is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if you want to brighten up a voice, if, if you got this great actor in there, but maybe they sound, you know, a little too old, by pitching it a little bit, it, it brightens it. You probably lose ten years off of it. You I, know what I mean? Yeah, I remember watching some of uh, Mel Blanc's later work, and his Porky Pig was pitched so high. Everything was like the Fantasy Island cartoon or something. I remember watching some of that, and my dad pointed out to me while we were watching it that it was pitched up. And I then I started listening to it. I was like, "Wow, it really, it really is." I heard, I heard that uh, Daffy and Sylvester were the same voice but pitched differently. Uh, You know what? Hmm. I think I've heard that too. Actually, yeah. So they they've been pitching. I don't know how they did it back in the day, but wow, I don't either. They they. how did they? They must have recorded it uh, at a slow speed and then played it back normal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like with the chipmunks or something. I'm gonna resume. Okay. Maurice Lamarge, Rob Paulson, Yakko, take one thirty-three. Get away from me! 
Gee, doctor, that's an awfully big nose for you to have. Leave me alone. How do you make your veins pop out like that? You look like a road map. I'm leaving. Hey, hey, don't go away and sell it, bud. Just go away. You are driving me crazy. I wish we were driving you to the airport. So there's Rob pretty much doing Rob. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Walker as Wacko, Maurice LaMarche as Scratch and Sniff, Interesting. Yeah, he's, he seems to be keeping the same wacko that, from the previous episode that we we had. So he definitely had like an idea, I think, in his head of what he thought wacko should sound like. Yeah, that sort of almost that Jimmy Neutron voice he does. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. or not, yeah, the voice from Jimmy Neutron. Yeah. Um, uh, so, or was it from the Goof Troop? I think it, both. <laughs> both. Yeah, <laughs> technically both. Kind of the same voice. <laughs> yeah. Let me just see what else we got here. Trust McNeil as Doc. And my name is Princess Angelina, Contessa, Louisa, Francesca, Banana Fanta, Fesca, the third D. You can call me Dot. They call me Dottie, and you die. Hiya, kiddo. Give us a little kiss. So, am I as cute as you thought I'd be before you met me? You know, cuteness runs in my jeans. And I wear a skirt. Oh, no. Who knew is the only one line that's exactly dot. Mm-hmm. The very the who knew at the end. Uh, it's 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 almost uh, it's not quite there yet. <laughs> and of course, I think I think we should talk about it real quick. Tom, you were you put on your Facebook page a few days ago the origin of Dot's full name, which <laughs> which Kelly can you you know Dot's full name of course. Uh, Princess Angelina, Contessa, Louisa, Francesca, Banana Fana, Banana Fana, Bobesca the third. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Tom, would you mind sharing with us where that came from? Well, uh, my dad, when he was growing up, had, had a dog, uh, real name Rover, but he, he named it, uh, he gave it a longer name. And so, uh, and he would, I said, what was the name of your dog? And he would tell me it was uh, Wheezy Vegetables, Penelope, Rover, Ruger, Apompanata, Hugo, I go, we all go, Yugoslavia, George Webster, Confucius, George Washington, Ouchie McGouchie. And I don't know why I memorized it, but I did. <laughs> and, and he memorized it. He had it memorized. And uh, one of the last videotapes I have of my dad is, is him. I said, tell me your dog's name. And he, he, he never forgot it. So, uh, Anyway, it's just a peculiar, odd little thing. And so uh, I told Sherry Stoner about it. I said, we should give Dot uh, a name like what my dad did with my uh, with his dog. And Sherry said, I'm on, I'm on that. And she, she hopped on uh, Princess Louisa, Banana Fana, all that. <laughs> uh, let me just see what else we got. This is Maurice LaMarche as Clyde. So we're not going to do that one. Okay. That's Clyde Robot, and he didn't make it. He didn't make the cut. Oh, yeah. I was like, Clyde, who's that? <laughs> All right. Well, should... We're done. All right. My, my, I'm, I'm done. I get to take the rest of the day off. Okay. Well, don't go yet. <laughs> well, that was amazing audio. Once again, wow, that is just just so interesting to, to see how those characters evolved and just to see... Gosh, what could have been, like we said, like an alternate dimension where if Maurice LaMarche got uh, Yakko's role and and that, that would have been so different. But uh, anyway. And if Frank Welker had done the brain as <laughs> Peter Parmy, <laughs> mm, that's right. <laughs> mm. Weird. 
Here at the studio's new animation department, the artists toiled endlessly to come up with cartoon stars, ultimately creating three new characters, the Warner Brothers and their sister, Dot. After hearing all that, I think it's time that we get to a uh, topic of discussion for today. And today will be kind of about the animation process with Animaniacs, because just speaking for myself and I'm don't know about Nathan and Kelly, but I'm a little confused about how these cartoons are actually made. Um, when I was a kid, I always thought, well, animation is made, you know, just I'd watch documentaries on Disney and I'd see the, the you know, people drawing the, the stuff and then take it off to the ink and paint lab and all the women would <laughs> paint all the cells and everything. And I thought, well, that's how it is. I saw Robert Benchley talking about it and that's how it's done. But it's much more complicated than that, right, Tom, especially with television animation? Well, the process is very similar, but uh, the, the number of uh, people involved is enormous. And uh, the number of uh, work hours involved are, uh, is enormous. So, uh, but let's just talk about what the process is. Uh, we, uh, we would write a, a story which would start uh, with, you know, a group of uh, writers and artists and directors getting together and talking story. The writers would, uh, we would pick out something specific for each writer to pursue, maybe several things for each writer to pursue. Rug would inevitably get a bunch of uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot cartoons. Peter would often get a Pinky and the Brain to pursue. Uh, Sherry, uh, you go do uh, next Slappy Squirrel cartoon. Deanna might do uh, Good Feathers. Nick Hollander might do Rita and Runt. And quite honestly, they would interchange. They, you know, Nick would go do a, a Warner's. I mean, they'd start with a, a premise, which would have to get approval from uh, the, the various executives involved. Stephen, if he were around, would, would uh, glance at the premises. We would often skip, which is a really key part to skip the outline. Nothing deadlier, because if you have an idea for a cartoon, you want to get it going. And nothing kills uh, the process uh, worse than an outline. It's like, oh, God, I have to, I, I can't just let it spring out of the page and become a script and write the dialogue as this methodical plotting outline and, you know, just kills all the spontaneity. So we didn't do outlines. The scripts, uh, once the scripts were approved, we would record them. Uh, that was the process. We, we, we try to record them as soon as possible before the storyboard even began. We tried to, but we didn't always succeed. But the, the uh, voice track, once we cut the voice track together, and we tried not to do something called normal pause. Normal pause is where they put a little standard, like eight frames of sound, uh, of blank sound between each line. So it'd be like, hey, wacko. Yeah, uh, come over here and let's let's go with that. Okay, so there always be these sort of dead pauses. Uh, we got rid of those uh, in our in our uh, guide tracks. We tried to tighten it all together so that the the guys doing the boards would keep that energy going in the board. So uh, once we had a storyboard, key layouts were. Uh, drawn so that when overseas started painting the backgrounds, they'd know what the backgrounds are supposed to look like. Uh, and we, we would also put together uh, the exposure sheets, which were frame by frame, uh, what was supposed to be happening on the soundtrack, in the action. And the storyboard was also a, a great guide uh, for, for all of that. Now, back then, back in the early 90s, we did not do animatics on uh, many of the episodes. We basically, we sent overseas storyboards, scripts, dialogue tracks, the slug storyboard. The, the storyboard itself had little timing uh, indications. And also the exposure sheets had all the timing indications and where every lip sync, every mouth, every, every bit of action was on the exposure sheet. So it was really directed on the exposure sheet and the pictures of the storyboard guided the process. Uh, now, what we 
would do with each cartoon had sort of its own personality and the characters in it were, uh, you know, doing specific funny things. And we found uh, that uh, the overseas studios that were involved in the series really specialized in certain uh, character groups. We found that uh, uh, Wang and TMS were particularly strong with the Warner characters. So I tried to uh, direct as many of the Warner cartoons as I could to TMS and Wang. We had a guy named uh, Dave Marshall who was uh, supervising our crew at Wang, which is in uh, Taipei. And he really got it. And he really uh, did beautiful work, uh, got his team to do beautiful work on the Warners. He, he gave them these beautiful sort of eyelids that really, uh, he, he mastered that, that Wang did more than any other studio. Except uh, I think uh, when uh, Star Tunes in Chicago did uh, some of the, the Warner cartoons, they, they captured that same sort of essence. Uh, TMS, uh, great artist, probably uh, uh, maybe the most brilliant animators that worked on the series. Uh, they could animate just about anything. They were always beautiful, meticulously beautiful episodes. And they could do any... Uh, of uh, the uh, franchises. They could do great slappies, great read it and runs. I mean, they did uh, the animation on uh, Les Miserables, for instance, which is a gorgeous cartoon. TMS really uh, was exemplary. Uh, before I go to the other studios, I want to just share a little story about Star Tunes. Now, Star Tunes, in my opinion, uh, they made, without a doubt, the best slappy squirrel cartoons just beautiful brilliant great animation animation by star tunes truly in the tradition of tex avery chuck jones all the the best of the cartoons from the 40s and 50s somehow star tunes caught that magic and uh they really did brilliant work now star tunes john mcclenahan and his team had worked on tiny tunes as had all the uh, other studios that ultimately worked on Animaniacs. But uh, Star Tunes had not worked directly with us. They had worked for Glenn Kennedy, who uh, had a studio, and Star Tunes had picked up some, some of that work. So Glenn Kennedy and Warner Brothers parted ways, and uh, suddenly Glenn Kennedy didn't have any work to give to Star Tunes. And so one day, John McClanahan and his team came to uh, Los Angeles and came to Warner Brothers and they met with uh, Ken Doerr, who was our uh, production manager. And uh, Ken said, you know, John, there's nothing I got. I don't have anything for you. I've booked up all our shows and sorry. So uh, now we had never met John McClanahan. So I'm in the elevator. Uh, I don't know. I'm going down to the mall to get a soda or something. And <laughs> <laughs> and so John McLennan, who's like 6'4", uh, is in the elevator with his gang, and and they're commiserating over what the, the meeting they just had with Ken Doerr. And I, I, I'm kind of listening, not trying to eavesdrop, but I'm just sort of like, I said, oh, uh, you know, hi, uh, have we met? And uh, so we met there in the elevator. We talked about it. He, he told me some of the sequences that his studio had animated on some of the Glenn Kennedy Tiny Tune episodes. It went even further back. John McClanahan then said he had drawn uh, Whopper, the dog character from Pound Puppies, like 10 years before. And I had, I had uh, been a story editor on that show. And the only good animation in Pound Puppies ever on occasion would be Whopper he would have this big, great smile. He said, oh, that was, that's, that's the Glenn Kennedy smile. And I said, <laughs> let's get back up in the elevator. And we went up and uh, uh, we got to Ken door and we started talking again. And, and I realized that uh, while we had booked up most of our shows for overseas with the specific studios, we still had a handful that we hadn't sort of assigned. And uh, so we gave uh, Star Tunes like one episode and they – hit it out of the park, and so we then gave him two, three, four. And they stayed with us until, uh, you know, the 99th episode. 
Yeah. Startoons was always funny, too, because I think they always used to put like little inside jokes in the background. There, you would see like Elvis appear a lot in Startoons cartoons. And <laughs> in fact, and there's also one uh, gentleman with these glasses and a big bushy mustache. And he's in the background of a few. And I was just going, who is? Because he's in Meatballs or Consequences saying, I bet they're go. Mm-hmm. And all that. And I was just saying, who is that? And I was I was talking to uh, Kirk Tingblad on uh, on Facebook. And I was like, do you know who this guy with a mustache is? And he goes, that's me, <laughs> actually. So they would actually even put themselves into the, the cartoons as well. And, and uh, John McClenahan uh, himself, caricatures of him are in there a lot as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, Freelance Graphics in New Zealand uh, did a handful of episodes uh, on, on Animaniacs. Um, Acom uh, was our Korean studio, and they had started uh, with us uh, at uh, on Tiny Toons. They went on to do a lot of Simpsons episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we sort of uh, got Acom. It started in Los Angeles on Tiny Toon, and then they kept doing uh, – uh, Animaniacs with us, but by the end of Animaniacs, they were they were uh, making a lot of money doing Simpsons, so they didn't really uh, worry about us anymore. Uh, <laughs> they they were very much uh, Acom gave our show a lot of core shadows. They gave the characters a lot of core shadows, and uh, those. Uh, were appreciated as you know, like phone call from the 405 uh, by Steven. He, he liked uh, when we had, it gave depth to the characters. Uh, the problem with ACOM was they, they just didn't animate as strongly as uh, Wang and as TMS and as, as Startoons. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think, is, is that every studio? I think so. I Looking at my little list right here, TMS, Startoons, Freelance, Wang, uh, and ACOM. Yeah, that's what I have when, right there. When we got the first footage in from Wang, the first cartoon we sent overseas to be animated, uh, it was desanitized. Uh, and we saw how cute and adorable they had made Yakko, Wacko, and Dot. We realized, oh, my gosh, we we, we have a hit on our hands. <laughs> uh, then we got the uh, beautiful animation from TMS uh, uh, for uh, uh, their first uh, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, and they weren't quite as cute, but they were so beautifully animated. We thought, oh, this is this is happiness, this is joy. <laughs> we knew we had some we had some really good looking cartoons. Tom, I do have a, a listener question here too. Um, so this is from Will at Ogwillen on Twitter. Um, he wants to know which animation studio company you thought was the best. Um, so of the cartoons, freelance, Wang, TMS, and Acom. Which one did you, did you think was the best one? Uh, you know, well, that's that's the interesting thing. You see, for uh, depending on the cartoons, the characters, I, I think uh, the Warners never looked cuter than they did in a Wang cartoon. They were never animated better than they were in a TMS cartoon. Mm-hmm. TMS, for instance, did... Uh, all of uh, Wacko's Wish, which is a beautifully animated oh. piece. Uh, but then I, I can't think of uh, Slappy without thinking of uh, Star Tunes. So I would say that those three studios, each each of them had uh, great strengths that made them uh, stand out. And uh, that's going to be my political answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So just to just to confirm, when these things went overseas, these these uh, supervising directors they were actually living overseas then at the time, like living in the actual. Place. We had a we had a supervising director at Wang only. Okay, uh, that was Dave Marshall. Uh, our rapport, our our uh, relationship with the folks at TMS was excellent and so good, and uh, the. Uh, we met with their team regularly and they were really taking care of us. And, uh, we didn't feel we needed, uh, to, uh, have someone there sort of looking over their shoulders. They, they, that wasn't going to work. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as for freelance graphics, there was no language issue at all because that was New Zealand. And uh, that was just a matter of uh, getting them to uh, find the animators they needed to get the job done. Uh, ACOM, I, I know that we sent, uh, we sent supervisor to ACOM, but uh, I don't think we had one there all the time. But we did uh, occasionally we'd send a director. I know on Tiny Tunes we sent a director. Uh, we sent Eddie Fitzgerald to ACOM for a while just to have him share his uh, sort of squash and stretch uh, animation knowledge, which was very beneficial. Uh, but ACOM kind of churned through uh, personnel, so uh, it was hard to uh, keep the A team on. Uh, on our shows at ACOM. Mm-hmm. And how long would you say on average would it take from, say, the script? Well, let's let's go from maybe saying the recording session to the finished product of animation. Like how, how many months or a year or how long would that, how long do you think that usually would take? Wow. Uh, I'd say we're, we're talking a minimum of eight to nine weeks in-house before, after recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shouldn't take that long, but it did. And then overseas was usually 13 to 14 weeks. Mm-hmm. So nine plus 14, uh, let's see, that's 23 mm-hmm. weeks. Uh, well, so minimum of uh, half a year, but often more. Wow, wow. So, Tom, uh, well, while we're talking about animations, I, I had some questions about character design. If there's any in particular that kind of stood out for you or that went through a lot of character changes. And then also I wanted to ask about a fan theory about Dot's face being shaped like the WB emblem, which I think is ridiculous, but maybe it was uh, on purpose. I don't know. So, <laughs> Well, uh, let's see. I just pulled out. I was work- looking through for, for some... Uh... Freakazoid stuff the other night. So I don't know if you can see this, but uh Oh yes. Right before we went with the generic cartoon characters, this this was like one of the last uh of the the duck versions. And uh so this was uh this was Yaki. Uh Smacky. Mm. And uh, then there's Wacky, which uh, so this is before Dot showed up. Now, uh, and these were based on these these duck characters that I had been fooling around with for years, um, platypus characters. But uh, I would say that uh, <laughs> I would say that uh, Lynn Naylor. Ken Boyer and Alfred Gimeno really added uh, the finishing touches on these characters, and they also then helped evolve these characters into the uh, sort of weird generic animal characters found uh, in our final design. Mm-hmm. So, does that answer your question? Yeah. The so, basic yeah, character like, design. There any, yeah, character designs that have changed quite a bit. Well, so, the, yeah, that, like, definitely from the ducks, definitely. And I, yeah, we'd exactly. love to, I mean, yeah, Tom, if you could snap pictures of those, we'd love to, I mean, my goodness, love to yeah. put those in the show notes uh, just to give people a reference. Very good. So, yeah, we'll, um, we'll put, we'll put, uh, what, what were the characters? Slappy, Wacky, and... What was it called again? Smacky, yaki, smacky, and wacky. Oh, yep. Yeah. Well, we'll put those. We'll put those uh, pictures of those those pictures in the show notes. They were those must have been those look like three boys if I'm not mistaken. They were. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I had three sons uh, at that point. Uh, I, I still have three sons, <laughs> wow. but uh, they were young, young and uh, and they were pretty zany. <laughs> and I had these three duck platypus characters that I've been playing with since college. So. It kind of came together, and we had uh, we had had some success with uh, Bosco and Honey 
uh, and uh, two-tone town cartoons uh, in Tiny Toons. And uh, somehow it all kind of came together. We took the ducks and we turned them into these early 30s uh, generic uh, animal characters. As for Dot space or a head being like the shield and dot's name being you know warner brothers dot <laughs> you know what I, like. I think i think the people that come up with this are way smarter than i am <laughs> and of course they're right and they are i i i wish we were that clever <laughs> I, I do well um thank you so much for that information right there i think it's time to, to wrap things up. But before we do, let's get to a, a little bit of Q&A. So, Nathan, Kelly, uh, we have some questions here, uh, both from us and from some of our listeners. So, uh, what, what would you like to ask Tom? Um, what was your favorite and least favorite episode to work on? This is a question from Karen. Hmm. Wow. I, I know I should have prepared this one. <laughs> favorite episode that I worked on? Uh, I think hmm, that's really tough. Uh, I like uh, Little Drummer Warners. Uh, it was a lot of work, uh, but it was a, a really good experience. I mean, all these cartoons uh, were, I mean, I look back at them, uh, the creative process, it was just wonderful. The people I worked with were wonderful. So, um, Favorite episodes. You know what? I, I, that's like, it's sort of like, you know, Sophie's choice. I know that uh, we had great challenges with uh, survey ladies. That was a very difficult one. Maybe uh, even tougher than that was another, I believe it was another one from uh, uh uh, Moby Dick, a brutal edit uh, with the Warners. Moby or not Moby? I forget yeah, Moby or not Moby. Yeah. And that was a very tough one. And uh, as well as broadcast nuisance was very difficult. Those, I'd say those three were very difficult to make. Hmm. Uh, just because the animation was so funky that we... And then the retakes came back and they were no better. So we had to like really edit around bad animation. So it made, it turned these seven minute cartoons into five minute cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we had talked about Moby or Moby or not Moby and uh, how some of the, sometimes Yakko and Wacko looked almost exactly the same. They were like the same height and uh, yeah, you could definitely notice. <laughs> so. Some now, did you know that that was freelance graphics? Oh, yeah, I think so. And yeah, yeah that that's uh, that was one of the challenges uh, of freelance graphics. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, uh, Nathan, what do you got? What question do you have there? Okay, I got the. This is from uh, Christy from Voice Chasers, and she wanted to know. Um, I'll just read her whole sentence or sentences. All right, I've got one. I've been wanting to talk to Tom about for a while. Back then, there wasn't much attention paid to voice talent in animation. Animaniacs was one of the first and few shows to give proper credit to the actors and also showcase the actors via the WB Store tour. Where did the direction to spotlight the voice talent originate from? Was it Tom, Spielberg, WB? And where did the idea of the WB Store tour come from? Thanks. Well, uh, the WB Stores were... uh they were doing everything they could to sell their product. And <laughs> a big part of uh, the stores were these uh, animation cells. Uh, it wasn't, they weren't just selling t-shirts. They had a big art department uh, and they were, you know, putting these pricey framed animation cells uh, up for sale. And they, they wanted to move these things any way they could. So, uh, the stores themselves, uh, I know, uh, I think Sody Clampett was working there at that time. And, um, but uh, Warner Brothers Licensing wanted big sales. Uh, Dan Romanelli was in charge of uh, Warner Brothers Licensing Worldwide. And whoever he could get to go out there 
and promote uh, and the shows and the product and the T-shirts and the cells. He was uh, uh, Romanelli and the entire store uh, team wanted that. So, um, and of course, then you got people like Rob and, and Jess and Maurice and Tress who, you know, really are great with uh, uh, meeting people. And uh, I think Rob gladly went out there and I, I did a few uh, uh, with them. Uh, anyway, I, I, I can honestly say I, I'm pretty sure uh, Stephen didn't get brought in, you know, should we send everybody out? I mean, Stephen was just uh, happy with the cartoons. And uh, I think that the actors were willing to go out <laughs> was probably <laughs> a surprise to the, uh, to the stores. And they, they really, uh, it really was a great move on their part. Mm. Well, yeah, you were right about moving product though, because, <laughs> you know, like when Nathan and I, when we were kids in the nineties, we, when we went to the, uh, one of those signings, uh, at the Warner Brothers store here in Tucson, we were literally the last people in line. <laughs> so by the time we actually got to, uh, meet Rob, uh, Jess and Tress, there was nothing left to sign in the whole store. Oh, no. So, but Rob stood up and he said, we got to find these kids something to sign. So they found like postcard representations of the cells and that's what they signed for uh, my brothers. Uh, so uh, they, they were just awesome to, to do that. Yeah. Because they would just, they are awesome. yeah, they just cleared out everything in those stores. It was crazy. <laughs> that's great. Well, uh, I think uh, if, if I know that uh, Warner Brothers and Time Warner and, uh, uh, you know, Turner uh, and, and the, the whole uh, sale, the AOL and uh, to all those maneuvers, the biggest freaking error besides teaming up with AOL was uh, getting rid of those stores. Yeah, it was just a. Uh, they they signed up with AOL and AOL said, "Oh no, we're we're not brick and mortar. Get rid of mm. it." And uh, I, I they've regretted it ever since because they had established themselves as a, a valued uh, a retail uh, commodity out there, mm -hmm. and people mm -hmm. went to get stuff there. And mm -hmm. when they just closed them all down, it was a disaster. Yeah, and they had a fantastic Times Square store that I went to in high school as well. That was just a two or three stories tall. It was remarkable. Well, the picture I have of that, right, with the Animaniac characters? Oh, I haven't seen that, no. Photo cart cartoonatics. Uh-huh. Uh, my blog. <laughs> and uh, there were these photos I took uh, time uh, right there on Fifth Avenue, Madison, uh, it, of the store with giant Yakko Wacko and Dots in the window. Oh, right? wow. So, yes, check out cartoonatics.blogspot.com, everybody. <laughs> Great. There you go. Hello, genius people. Yakko Warner here. The only show we listen to in the Water Tower is the Animaniacast. I bet you can't guess why. Good night, everybody. Well, we have had a fantastic episode once again, Tom. Uh, so much information, so much exclusive audio that, you know, gosh, we haven't, that hasn't been heard for 25 years. So thank you once again for, for sharing it with us. We certainly appreciate it. And uh, our audience does as well. Yes, always. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think it is time to wrap things up. So let's go ahead and get to some contact information. Nathan, where can people go to get in contact with you online? Uh, folks, you can find me on your favorite Twitter account at DjangoFT. That's me. <laughs> and Kelly, what about you? I'm on Twitter at Yoda Princess, or you can email me, Kelly, at BigShinyRailbot.com. And Tom, I said your blog right there. It's cartoonatics.blogspot.com, right? Yes, and I'm I'm a, on Twitter too. What I'm Tom Ruger on Twitter. Right? Yeah, I think it's uh, yes, I think it's just at Tom Ruger if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so there yes. you go. Uh, and uh, as for the Animaniacast, you can uh, see us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and of course you could go ahead and email us as well, which is animaniacast at retrozap.com. We are a proud member of the RetroZap Podcast Network, and there are actually 21 podcasts on the network that you can check out, everybody. So uh, whether it's uh, Star Wars or 
the, the superheroes or hey even the animaniacs like this show uh retrozap has you covered so head on over to retrozap.com well i think it's time to close shop so for nathan kelly and tom this is joey saying good night everybody good night good all. night everybody narf <laughs> This podcast is not endorsed by Warner Brothers or Amblin Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Animaniacs, the Warner Brothers logo, all names, pictures, and sounds of the Animaniacs characters or any other Animaniacs-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Warner Brothers, Amblin Entertainment, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the Animaniacs unless otherwise indicated. What do you want to do to This ain't Henry Dreaming, I think. <laughs> Got to take over the world. <laughs>